1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. We want to get right to it. We have a lot of ground to cover again today. So much happening. Uh, We'll talk markets later with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Uh, Do we have a better handle on the rebuilding of the swine herd in China and how that impacts their demand moving forward? We'll talk about that and some other market issues. Uh, Confirmation hearings this week. Uh, We're going to talk about the hearing for... Tom Vilsack, as expected, went pretty smoothly, passed out a committee, and now we will go on for the full vote. We'll get some thoughts on what we heard from Tom Vilsack in that hearing from Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report a little bit later on. Uh, proposals out there on immigration, how would they impact the ag labor issue? We'll talk about that today with Allison Crittenden. She's Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. All of that still to come on today's program. But we are starting things off today with a look at the um, ongoing challenges facing the rural health system in this country, how it's handling COVID 19, now how it's handling the uh, vaccinations. That are taking place across the country. Joining us is Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Brock, as always, good to have you with us for an update. Uh, Let's start with uh, the pandemic itself. As far as cases, we're hearing that in many places, uh, the cases are down, uh, the surge at uh, many of the hospitals down. That may not be the case in all places, however. What can you tell us? Can you give us an overview?
2: Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be on the call today. Uh, Yeah, cases, I got some good news today. Uh, Cases have been falling over the last couple of weeks, uh, actually sharply um, overall, and we've seen the same trend in rural communities across the United States. Uh, More importantly, uh, deaths have fallen, and they are falling as a result of uh, of the disease, and uh, we're seeing some of that trending in rural communities as well. So we're real uh, happy to see. And I guess we were expecting this uh, following the uh, major holidays in 2020, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Uh, uh, once we've gotten past those, I think that uh, people are, are uh, uh, the, the virus is spread enough and, and folks are using social distancing and, and mask wearing to help uh, mitigate the spread of the virus.
0: And of course, now we're getting people vaccinated. Let's start with looking at the staff the staffs at the, the uh, rural hospitals across the country. How has that process gone? Are are they pretty well uh, vaccinated at this point?
2: Yes, uh, Mike. Uh, we're in phase one, and many places have gone to phase two of the vaccine plan uh, from CDC, uh, which means that about 21 million workers in healthcare have been vaccinated uh, by this point. Uh, and many of those are in rural communities. I know that some states still have some outstanding uh, locations that may have not received their allotment of vaccine yet. But that has uh, largely gone on. Uh, We're in 1B looking at uh, uh, first responders, clinic workers, uh, those that uh, have uh, public-facing jobs in health care that are not in hospitals and, and nursing homes. Um, oh, and I should add, too, that we've uh, pretty much got all of the nursing home uh, long-term care facility residents in rural areas uh, vaccinated. I know there's some pockets of problems with that around the country, uh, but hopefully we're expecting soon that to be resolved.
0: Now, for the general popul- population, uh, let's talk about availability of vaccine. How Are you having challenges at the uh, the rural healthcare facilities across the country getting vaccines?
2: Mike, that's just the real problem that we have right now uh, in, this, uh, in our vaccination program. We just don't have enough vaccine. Um, and that is uh, perplexing all of us both uh, in rural uh, areas as well as urban. So uh, we're seeing uh, vaccinations scheduled and then they have to be canceled because the vaccine didn't show up as promised. Uh, currently about 150 million people in the United States are eligible to be vaccinated. Um, and of course uh, we're now uh, going into phase two which means that anybody over the age of 65 is now being recommended to uh, uh, begin getting their vaccines. I am encouraged. Uh, yesterday uh, the um, Health and Human Services uh, has indicated that uh, community pharmacies are going to be a distribution point. Uh, for the vaccine, and we're uh, now looking to see about the saturation of that within rural uh, counties in the country, uh, making sure that uh, those vaccines are going to community pharmacists uh, in rural areas and making sure that that those that don't have community pharmacies, about 300 counties nationwide, don't have a community pharmacy. So we're still worried about some of those more remote and uh, smaller areas.
0: What steps are you taking to try to, to access more vaccines?
2: Well, I think it's encouraging. I just uh, saw the, today that Moderna, one of the five major manufacturers of the vaccine that will hopefully be coming to market in the United States, um, has got, are, are seeking authorization to actually fill the, the uh, empty space in their vials uh... that they're shipping which would actually create fifty percent more uh... vaccine available to uh... for distribution uh, the, part of the problem that we have in uh... In vaccine production is not just actually creating the vaccine itself but that vaccine has to go into these small bottles and uh... those all obviously have to be be manufactured uh... there this and so uh... if they could put fifty percent more vaccine in each vial Uh, that would uh, increase by 50% just in that uh, action alone, uh, the sources of vaccine for many rural communities around the United States.
0: Finally, Brock, we've talked about this before. There were a lot of challenges to the rural health system uh, before the pandemic and now even more during and what will follow after. What are you hoping for from this new Congress to perhaps help the rural health care system?
2: Well, we have several provisions that we've been requesting. Um, Obviously, we're looking for fair reimbursement, uh, restoring many of the cuts that have happened over the last uh, uh, decade or so, uh, trying to make sure that our rural providers are uh, being sustainably funded. And uh, that is a a critical priority for us uh, going forward. So we're looking at our hospitals and clinics. Uh, We've had some changes in the latest round of COVID relief package that we're trying to uh, uh, get answers to Uh, since we're having a change in administrations in Washington right now there's a a little bit of a gap uh, in terms of direction on a lot of policy uh, that would really help our rural providers so we're trying to navigate those waters at the moment
0: all right Brock as always we appreciate your time giving us an overview of the situation and how things are going across the country thank you so much
2: well thank you Mike great to be with you
0: Take care. Brock Slabaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. Well, with a new Congress, a new administration, will there be a new approach to immigration that can pass? Can we see a comprehensive immigration plan, or will it bog down once again? And what does it all mean for ag labor? We're going to talk about those issues with Allison Crittenden, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for a round the table brought to you by CHS as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology. To help co op owners get more value every day. So join us for a round the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
1: Adams on Agriculture Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Always good to talk with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall. There are still voices out there calling for country of origin labeling. And do you think that's going to become a big issue again?
2: There's no doubt about it. What we continue to push for is the recognition that there are better opportunities to showcase our product, and we can do that through voluntary means. There's quite a few programs that are regional or state-based in nature. One that has been extremely successful is the Kentucky product program that's going on there, where they have worked with Kroger stores in Kentucky to have a branded program, Kentucky Beef. And that voluntary approach we think has more connection to that consumer than just a a blanket government-run country of origin labeling program. We're against mandatory government labeling in regards to country of origin, but we believe that those value-added labeling programs that show some sort of origin do have value.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life, but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the US needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today.
1: Will a new Congress, a new administration
0: have a different approach to immigration that can get passed? And what would it mean for ag labor? Let's talk about those issues with Allison Crittenden, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Allison, thank you for joining us. So we have uh, the new Congress, new administration, some new proposals. Uh, What do you make of what uh, is being proposed and the chances of something getting done this time?
4: Well, Mike, thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk about immigration. It's certainly an issue that um, AFDF members continue to ask us to have in the forefront, and we look forward to working on it in this Congress. You know, I think the, the one word that I could use to sum up the conversation around immigration is enthusiasm. Um, there is a lot of enthusiasm, um, you know, within Congress to address, you know, these big immigration problems. Um, And as Congress is looking to address these these broad immigration concerns, you know, it does create a viable pathway for, you know, agriculture's immigration and ag labor problems to also be a part of that conversation. Um, So I think we will definitely see attention on broader immigration reform. And because of the attention on the issue, this provides an ample opportunity for us to look into some of the ways that we can solve agriculture's issues.
0: Has there been any specific proposal or approach that has stood out to you as one that uh, might have a path forward more likely than others?
4: Um, so, you know, I think what we have seen, uh, obtain the most attention right now. Um, President Biden, in, in his you know, first few days in office, uh, he released a, a framework um, and started discussing the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. Uh, while we haven't seen bill types for this yet, um, we have learned uh, you know, on the, the Senate side, Senator Menendez will be taking the lead on that. Um, and on the House side, Congresswoman Sanchez, um, along with a host of others uh, will be leading the charge to try to move that Biden proposal through. However, I'll point out that, you know, the president can, can share his ideas for immigration reform, but it is ultimately up to Congress to, to pass a bill and get it to his desk. Um, and I think that that process uh, is what will allow for agriculture's issues to to be addressed. Um, you know, some of the details that we've seen so far in President Biden's um, U.S. Citizenship Act, you know, they don't fully address all of agriculture's problems. Um, you know, the, the framework didn't include any language about the H-2A guest worker program and the reforms that we need to see there regarding, you know, making sure year-round agriculture can can access the program as well as looking at ways to improve our wage methodology, improving the application process. Um, so we're looking forward to, to working with members of Congress as they start to dive in and roll up their sleeves on immigration reform to make sure that, you know, we have solutions for our current workforce, but as well as ensure that we have robust reform to the H-2A program.
0: We're talking with Allison Crittenden with the American Farm Bureau Federation, and you just touched on it. I mean, it's a two areas of of real concern for ag labor, not only attracting labor, but also retaining workers.
4: Exactly. So, you know, I think one, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. You know, the first is we recognize that, um, you know, much of the existing workforce doesn't have proper documentation. And I think with the makeup of Congress right now and with Biden as president, we certainly have an opportunity to, to help those folks adjust status and get in good standing um, so they can continue working in agriculture. And, you know, as, as employers, farmers, um, you know, I think folks have always tried to do the right thing. Um, you know, certainly the way that laws are structured right now, it um, creates a scenario where, you know, undocumented um, ag workers, you know, folks, you know, as an employer, you're not really allowed to question but so much you know what anyone's paperwork looks like. But we want to make sure that everybody is in legal status, and I think we have a really great opportunity in this Congress to do that. But I think it's also important to note that that's only one piece of the puzzle. Um, and you know major reforms to our guest worker program are really, you know probably the future for for ag labor. We recognize that the folks that are currently working on our farms are um, you know they're getting older. Um, there may be other opportunities for them to pursue at some point. Um, but that doesn't mean that these, these jobs go away. So we have to find a way to, to you know, meet aggregate's needs um, now and in the future. And we certainly think that if we make reforms to our guest worker program, that that could, could be the, the next the path forward.
0: Well, which is more likely a comprehensive immigration plan, getting passed or more fine-tuning of the uh the ag labor provisions of it
4: well i think that's a tough question to, to answer i think there's a lot of attention right now on on broader immigration issues whether it's daca folks um you know needing temporary protected status and you know they're um, future uh, status, whether it be green cards or citizenship, I think that because there's so much emphasis on some of these other immigration categories, that you will see um, agriculture, you know, likely move along with some of these other proposals that are not ag-specific. Um, however, our focus is going to be on, on fine-tuning, you know, our existing ag programs. Um, you know, and making sure that you know whatever vehicle is presented to us in which ag labor reform can can move, um, that that we're ready and have you know all of our ducks in a row to take advantage of whatever opportunity comes to have ag labor reform legislation passed.
0: Well, we've kind of gotten close at times in the past, and looks like we, you know, it kind of looked like we get there, and then then it didn't didn't across the finish line. So we'll see now. I think part of the challenge is, and a lot of people, even some listening now may think, well, how big an issue is this really for agriculture? It's a huge issue, isn't it? Now maybe more so in some parts of the country than others, but when we hear about crops rotting in the fields and and dairy operations can't find people to work, I mean, these are significant challenges to those operations and to our, uh, our country's ability to produce food.
4: Absolutely, I think if we look back to you know, early in the coronavirus pandemic, when there was so much concern about how um, changes at our consulates would affect the ability for H two A workers to travel from Mexico and other countries to the U S. to work on farms, I mean, that panic that we were not going to be able to have our workforce arrive and arrive on time to help us plant and harvest, um, you know, just just further emphasized how big our ag labor challenges are and why we really need to you know work with our partners in congress to um finally solve these problems once and for all Um, you know even during you know some of the times during the pandemic where folks were um, unemployed we still faced you know workforce shortages within agriculture um you know, unfortunately, I think just the, kind of the fact is that right now um, we are not able to uh, fill all of these ag jobs with folks, you know, here in America currently. And we will, you know, likely continue to have to um, you know, work with individuals from other countries in order to, you know, plant our crops and harvest them and ultimately get food onto, you know, tables across the country.
0: How does the push for a higher minimum wage impact this issue
4: well i think one thing we have to remember in this conversation around uh, increasing the minimum wage is that farmers are price takers um, and right now we are already operating under some pretty tight margins um so any increase in our operating costs will you know require that the the prices that we receive for our goods also, you know, increases in a similar fashion. Um, And if our food prices don't increase, then I'm not sure how, you know, agriculture in America will be able to make up the difference if we see an increase in the federal minimum wage. Um, So I would would caution folks um, embracing the idea of that. I think we certainly recognize that our ag workforce is valued, and we recognize the need to pay these folks a fair wage. But we we need to um, also think about some of the unintended consequences associated with increasing our operating expenses. And one of those is, you know, at some point, um, if operating expenses exceed, uh, you know, the price received for, for our commodities, then, you know, farms will be going out of business. And I think we have to make sure that um, we maintain American agriculture and do not create a scenario in which we're you know, relying on other countries who are able to produce goods more cheaply um, you know, to, to bring us our food source.
0: Yeah, I mean, that it really comes down to that. Are we going to get to the point where we'd have to rely on other countries uh, for our food? We don't want to get to that point. Uh, So we'll see if uh, something gets done, and a a new push on this immigration issue. We'll see what happens. Allison, thank you very much, and we look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Mike.
0: Allison Crittenden, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, we talk markets with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More
3: Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike You're listening to
6: Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Gray markets are weaker early Wednesday morning as the mix to lower price action this week continues. U.S. corn supplies tightened quickly this past week as a result of large export sales to China. Record non-commercial net longs in corn make prices potentially volatile, but so far non-commercials have not yet been significantly threatened. Corn is somewhat a bullish type 2 market. On the Board of Trade, March corn trading 4 and a fraction lower at 538. And three quarters, the May contract down four and a fraction at 539. March soybeans up two and a fraction at 1357. The May contract up four cents at 1354 and three quarters. For the wheats, March Chicago wheat trading 15 cents lower at 629 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat march down 12 and a half cent at 606 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat march down nine and three quarters at 611 and a fraction. The May contract down nine at 621. Cattle and hogs did a nice reversal on Tuesday, which should follow through today as traders have renewed interest now that the overbought technical situation has been relieved. Looking at the Board of Trade, April lean hogs trading $1.30 higher at $79.37, the May contract up $87 at $82.92. For feeders, the March contract up $65 at $139.77, April up $82 at $143.07. For live cattle, April up $27 at $122.80, the June contract up dollars up 32 at 119.17. In cash cattle country, asking prices are around $115 plus in the south, but not yet established in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be mixed with light to moderate box movement. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 91 points, the Nasdaq Composite up 10, the S&P 500 down 1. The U.S. dollar is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
1: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
5: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
1: Clean. Separate.
5: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news
1: from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: We're joined now by Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN, as we continue to look at the markets. And, Todd, we continue, to, of course, to look at China. They've been very active in their buying. and uh, But a lot of speculation, how much longer is that going to go? We watch, of course, the South American crop. But we also look at demand in China, and, and you and others have told us that it looks like You know they're buying from need Uh, the demand is there a lot of that revolves around the rebuilding of their swine herd uh, from African swine fever I've seen some reports where they claim that they're going to be pretty well back uh, to where they were pre virus levels here very very soon is that realistic is that feasible do you think Uh,
7: I don't think it is Mike from my perspective and good morning and thanks for having me back again Um, And and the reason I say that is when we look at the national hog price in China, it's still up at very high levels uh, that that was associated with the the destruction of their uh, pork herd. And so uh, I I don't doubt that there's progress being made, but I don't think it's as uh, successful yet as what uh, you just cited there. That was back in the December some officials came out and said they're within maybe 10 percent of their previous peak levels. I I just don't think that's right and as I uh, hear other analysts talk about this too I think it's uh, probably more reasonable to expect maybe a a two-year process here to rebuild that herd but I'll be watching that hog price in China and so far it's not coming down much at all so that tells me that they still have more work to do.
0: All right, so what's the latest out of South America? Where are they with their uh, harvest?
7: Very slow. Uh, Not much progress in Brazil. Uh, Very low amount of shipments in the month of January. Uh, They did get uh, heavy rains from southern Brazil over the weekend. That bogged things down a bit. There's still heavy rain in the forecast for central and northern Brazil in the current seven-day forecast. But uh, we're getting lighter amounts in that forecast for southern Brazil and Argentina. So it's still going to take some time. They're going to get there. I have no doubt about that. And uh, uh, I I don't think anything will keep them from uh, getting what looks like to be a big record harvest uh, finally to port. But uh, it is taking longer than usual.
0: All right. So the speculation about how long does this market rally continue? And again, you have, have talked about uh, the that tight stocks number should provide support for a while. What what do you see? How do you see this playing out? Choppy? I mean, we've got a WASDI report yet coming up. Will that make much of a difference? Uh, uh, what do you see as the market moving factors here in the next few weeks?
7: Well, uh, for one thing, uh, I try to put myself in the place of non-commercials. Uh, And uh, they obviously still have a very large speculative presence in both corn and soybean uh, markets right now. And, you know, we've had a big six month rally. We're still up near the highs. Prices have drifted somewhat sideways to lower in soybeans here the past couple weeks. And I have to think, uh, perhaps, you know, are, are they thinking about, uh, do they want to stick around and see if we have a drought in the U S uh, this spring? or not and you know do they want to sit through a, a record harvest from brazil where china is going to be shifting their demand eventually here maybe in the next couple of weeks uh and and um, i just have to wonder if, if we're not set up for a correction here maybe at least some kind of a choppy uh sideways range and uh the 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 next uh bullish potential or anticipation that could excite people of course I think, is going to be the, the U.S. planning conditions and just what the weather looks like as we get closer to that time.
0: We're talking with Todd Holtman with DTN. Todd, when you get in a rally like this, and it does back off, you see some down days, and all of a sudden the focus is on, all oh, the rally's over, we're down, and you almost have to step back from it and say, okay, yeah, it's down, but look where we are compared to where we were.
7: Yes. Right. And it's it's very easy to lose our sense of perspective, and especially if we're just kind of looking at the day-by-day uh, news situation. And, of course, last week we had a lot of excitement when corn uh, China stepped in and made four big days in a row of corn purchases. And, uh, and so, uh, it, you know, it, it's very easy to get a little bit upside down uh, in all of this. But you're right. It's important to step back. Uh, And I I think in the big picture, I I just still have to reinforce, U.S. soybean supplies are extremely tight. It's hard to see anything in the near term that's going to change that. Uh, And then, of course, if we do have adverse weather on top of that, that's that's just a whole other layer of bullish potential there. If things go well, if weather turns out well, um, even in that situation, we could have a decent crop in 2021, and we're probably not going to still build the surplus very much. So it's, it's going to take a while for our markets to adjust to this new higher level of demand that we've seen this year.
0: And now, as you point out, we could have a very good crop this year and not add that much probably to the stocks.
7: Yes, uh, just just penciling out a rough draft of numbers. I, I've increased my planning estimates, by the way. Prices are just too good. Uh, not to take them up higher. So I'm saying 92 million acres each for corn and beans. And uh, if we pencil out a normal yield, somewhat normal weather conditions, it's still going to be hard to meet the level of demand uh, that we're seeing. So that's why uh, you're hearing the CEO of ADM and others say that this could be a two-year process at least uh, to balance out these markets and adjust to this kind of new reality.
0: As we look at the corn market, it's really been impacted because the ethanol market's been so negatively impacted by the uh, pandemic and people not driving as much. And now, of course, we have the issue of are we moving away from, uh, you know, fossil fuels and headed more towards electric vehicles? That's more of a long term issue, though, Uh, in the more near term. Uh, recent purchases of ethanol by China have to be encouraging. If they would really get into the ethanol market uh, in a big way, that, that could sure turn things around.
7: Yeah, and, and to be honest, that was a big surprise to me. Now, that 200 million gallon uh, say of sales in the first half of 2021 works out to about uh, 70 million bushels. So that's a pretty nice export sale. Uh, on my mind. And of course, it adds to the 230 million bushels of corn that China signed up for last week. So uh, that was all very heady type news. And uh, to be honest, it surprises me because uh, I I think they have much bigger concerns about feed grain and feed grain demand this year. Um, I I was surprised that they were uh, serious enough to take on uh, the the ethanol purchases, but uh, we'll we'll see where they go with that. And of course, uh, we're not going to balk at that
0: yeah it was a pleasant surprise it's in, it'll be what it'll be interesting to see if is that an indicator of future purchases or in the future direction they're wanting to go or not we'll see uh what should we watch for in this next WASDA report next week well i think there's
7: going to be a lot of interest in what usda now says for ending corn stocks uh last time we checked in they were at 1.55 billion bushels now we just had uh, big sales to china the past week so uh, my number is 1.2 billion bushels, but I don't think USDA probably will come down that low. But they, they could come down to 1.3 or 1.35. And uh, that just uh, works in there to support a higher corn price. So it it just once again strengthens the fundamentals. It doesn't necessarily point to corn trading higher from where we're at, because 550 is a pretty heady price, uh, no matter how you look at it uh, for corn. But it, it certainly helps support the case for corn here where it's at.
0: What kind of conversations have you been having with farmers concerning new crop sales? Uh, You know,
7: I have had a, a few chances lately to talk to producers, which I enjoy very much getting out and seeing real people again. And when it comes to the new crop, my advice is I think time is on our side. I don't see any reason to get in a rush here, especially with the drought conditions that we see on the map for the Western Plains and the Western Corn Belt. Uh, the Climate Prediction Center expecting those drought conditions to remain in place through the end of April, and our new crop prices really have not caught up yet to the current situation yet, so I, I just, I don't see uh, any hurry uh, to, to price that new crop grain uh, just yet, and I think it's going to take time for the, the, the uh, those prices to come up and reflect what's happening.
0: And uh, your thoughts, you, you've you've made the case on, you know, the, the soybean story, the corn story, and also the wheat story. For wheat producers, what are your thoughts?
7: Yeah, for wheat, um, to be honest, I have to wonder, I, I'm a little concerned uh, with their recent sell-off, and they just may be the canary in the coal mine here. Um, it's It's no secret that they do not have as strong a fundamental argument as corn and soybeans do at this time. And they've just benefited a lot mainly from the higher corn price and and that's all fine and there are some potential uh positive things here for wheat prices uh but we're not going to really know about that until spring when those crops emerge uh and and the big questions are uh russia went into the winter dry are they going to come out dry and then of course we have the same questions here in the southwestern plains for our hard red uh winter wheat crops so that's, that's kind of the bullish hope, but when you're up here, uh, you know, we hit uh, six-year highs not that long ago. Um, th- that's a pretty good price for wheat. It's hard to expect too much more unless we truly get into a
2: serious weather problem.
0: All right, Todd, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. DTN lead analyst, Todd Holtman. All right, so Secretary Vilsack had his uh, committee hearing, confirmation hearing. We'll get some thoughts on that from uh, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. That's next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute.
1: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
5: The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed.
0: My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't know
5: it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
2: The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
6: Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. What's the message here you're trying to get out to uh, retailers about offering E15 to motorists?
7: a couple of rounds of uh, funding from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for infrastructure is that most of those stations that did not receive any money from these HPIP grant programs should know that they can probably use their existing equipment to sell E-15, and that's very different from the message that they've been fed from the oil industry and even from regulators over the last several years. The most recent thing that happened is just at the end of the last administration, they issued a proposed rule to change the labeling requirements compatibility requirements for offering e 15 There's good stuff in there and there's some stuff that probably doesn't need to be in there, but it's a 90-day comment period and we want to make sure the retailers take a look at those things and tell us what needs to be in there that isn't and what's
0: in there that doesn't need to be. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
6: What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm Registered Dietitian Nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org.
1: Carbon monoxide is a colorless,
7: odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away.
0: From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You're listening to A O A Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest
1: farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. As expected, Tom Vilsack sailed through his uh,
0: Senate confirmation hearing, uh, passed right out of committee, and goes on now for full vote. Uh, Let's talk over his testimony with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, Anything in particular stand out to you from what you heard from Tom Vilsack? Uh,
8: Well, as far as what I heard from Tom Vilsack, uh, I suppose the fact that he would like to use the Commodity Credit Corporation for uh, climate uh, programs, uh, maybe even a climate sequestration bank, uh, but that Senator Bozeman, Bozeman, the ranking member on the committee, told us, uh, after, told reporters afterwards that he thinks that uh, Vilsack would need action from Congress before that would be allowed. Uh, now there's a question about that because they, you know, uh, Sunny Perdue used the account uh, to make the trade payments to farmers uh... so i think there'd be a question of fairness or a question of legality there uh... but i thought that that was the um, uh... that was perhaps the most interesting moment in the hearing
0: uh, i know the biofuels industry was uh... was comforted by the fact that uh... He once again pledged uh, support and and stated his support for biofuels. Uh, This is something we've seen before. He was a a champion for biofuels when he was Ag Secretary before.
8: Uh, Yes, I was struck by the fact that the Midwestern Senators focused so much on biofuels and on the issue of whether cattle producers are getting a fair uh, price for their cattle. Uh, what struck me about that is that those were the same issues that were uh, important in the Obama administration and in the Trump administration. They're kind of they're kind of perpetual issues. So in that way, the hearing was a bit of a disappointment to me because not many senators brought up new issues. They mostly talked about those two old uh, issues, uh, and you know, want Bill Sack to be influential at EPA and also want him to deal with his price transparency. He tried to do both those things under the Obama administration, but those are very difficult to deal with.
0: Yeah, on biofuels, he said there would be significant demand for biofuels for years to come, both in conventional motor vehicles, but also in aviation and marine applications. And we've heard him talk about that uh, in his previous stint at USDA. Um, he, when the subject of country of origin labeling came up, he didn't shut the door on that possibility.
8: No, he said he would, uh, he would be interested in doing anything that, uh, that he can do that does not get the United States in trouble with the World Trade Organization. The problem, of course, was that when we had a really strong, cool law, uh, Canada went to the WTO and got a ruling against the United States, and Congress ended up repealing that law, uh, or we would have faced uh, all kinds of trade retaliation.
0: Uh, what did he have to say on trade?
8: Uh, well on tra- uh on, tra- on trade uh he talked about the need for uh uh, uh the need for more markets for broader markets um, and uh uh of course um, senator stabenow has said she wants a really strong uh uh trade uh, undersecretary to sell in the uh in in the rest of the world uh and uh, so that's, uh, that that was happening Uh, I have to note to you that today uh, Washington has moved on a bit in the fact that we have the news of three new senators who are going to be on the Senate Ag Committee. Um, Senator Booker from New Jersey, Senator Lujan from New Mexico, and Senator Warnock from Georgia. And we're going to be waiting for at least two new Republicans. So that's what Washington is talking about today.
0: Mm -hmm. And we know there's a lot of talk about climate policies, uh, Secretary Vilsack was very active in that area before as Secretary of Agriculture and how it pertains to agriculture and agricultural practices and programs.
8: Uh, yes, yes, he was. Um, he uh, he launched a number of initiatives through the Rural Development Section of USDA and also through the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Uh, but I think the uh, the intensity and the White House interest in it Uh, makes it more likely that USDA will do, uh, will do more this time, this time around. The question is what and whether he can sell it to the farmers. And one, one issue that he brought up, uh, is that farmers have to think that this is going to work for them or they're not going to want to do it. And, and he's got to, he's got to convince them that it's, uh, that it's a worthwhile thing to do, this carbon sequestration.
0: Yeah, how does it work for them, not only from a climate and environmental standpoint, but a, an economic standpoint?
8: Well, one issue that has come up very much is that uh, there have to be, has to be a way for the farmers to count what they are doing in order to get these credits. And Senator Stabenow has a bill on this, um, and, and Bilsack brought this up too, that, that you have to have uh, quantification for uh, for this to work, so that the farmers can go into these credit markets and say, "Look, this is what I have to offer you. This is what you should. This is what you need, or need to pay me, or what will you pay me?" Um, so that companies that want to show that they are preserving uh, the environment can take uh, advantage of these credits.
0: No doubt, um, his time as president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council; those experiences will uh, help shape what he wants to do at USDA. Uh, did you hear anything that made, sounded different from the Tom Vilsack we remember from four years ago or pretty much kind of what you expected?
8: Uh, well, it, he actually said, I'm a different man and it's a different department. So I think we're going to have to see on that. Now, one point that he did make about trade was that that he thinks that farm that dairy farmers should get more benefit from the sale of exports than they are getting, I I got the impression he didn't talk too much about this, but I got the impression that he thinks that perhaps they should be paid more for the for the dairy products that go into export than they are than they are getting. Uh, but we'll have to see about that how it comes along because he didn't say anything more than make that one comment.
0: All right, Jerry, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Take care.
8: All right, thank you, Mike.
0: Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Tomorrow, we'll talk about uh, the EPA administrators, uh, incoming EPA administrators' confirmation hearing and what we learned from that and what it might tell us for future policy and direction of EPA. That's coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.